Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Professor Kim. Thanks so much for joining us in the podcast. I would like to ask you first how you'd like to introduce and define yourself for the audience who first time listening to you. Hi, uh, my name is Sangbae Kim. I'm a professor in mechanical engineering at MIT. Uh, I'm a roboticist. I love design and uh, fall in love with the control uh, of the leg robot. And I built... Uh, Many robots, including uh, Sticky Bot, Ice Pro, mm. Spiny Bot, Meshworm, and four Cheetah series, like for Cheetah and Cheetah 2, Cheetah 3, Mi Cheetah. Yeah. And so on. so um, yeah, I love to talk about uh, Leg Robot. I love mm-hmm. to talk about mobile robot and application in the real world. Wonderful. So thank you once again for joining. But we are curious to go for your childhood. How was your childhood uh, was? Were you just a science or technology as a kid? Do you have any memories about that? Well, I uh, I always loved building. You know, mm-hmm. as yeah. many many engineering students or uh, or most of kids like love Lego. That's how mm-hmm. we started. But uh, I think that quickly evolved to like uh, building something more. How can I say active? Like a love. Like electric motor, mm-hmm. and then building my own stuff. Lego, you know, is limiting. Lego is very convenient, but it's a quite limitation, a lot of limitation. Yeah. So I start building, you know, cars by myself, and then I realized so hard. And then that's where I fall in love with the RC cars. Yeah. And RC car at the time was such a big source of uh, learning experience because mm-hmm. it teaches you like all kinds of vehicle dynamics and the design of the suspensions and shock absorber. Like uh, I learned a lot of like a sort of like a physical sense uh, mm-hmm. through RC car before even learning uh, simple mechanics. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, RC car was such a big uh, uh, learning experience for me. And yeah, uh, of course, like, you know, the gliders, then uh, rubber, powered gliders i went to a competition every year when i was a middle school student and i loved physics uh, mm. uh i had a uh korean version of a thinking physics is a book uh you can find uh amazon uh it's a fantastic a way What's to teach, uh physics for you know uh middle school student to the adult mm-hmm. um uh, it, it, it teaches you intuition instead of, you know, falling, you know, the loss in the equation. So uh, mm-hmm. I always love physics. Um, uh, that's how I think, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I always mm-hmm. cut things with the knife because I didn't have a tool. And then when I yeah. first got my electric drill when I was 13, that just changed my changed my world. <laughs> yeah, this is really very interesting. I, uh, you were a very smart kid. So, but I'm curious about what's the actual first robot you built? First robot I built, I probably is the, uh, uh, something I can call robot is the uh, Ice Pro when mm. I was at Stanford. Um, uh, they had a, a cockroach inspired robotics project 
uh, they try to learn how to uh, simplify the model of the insect running and then replicate in the, in the robot. And they had a called, robot called the Sprolita, which is a pneumatic powered machine. And, but they, you know, because it's a pneumatic power, the robot cannot be completely power autonomous. So I uh, joined the Mark Kokoskis group and start building uh, independent, uh, power mm. independent machine. And then it turns out that it's Ice Pro. At the time, it was the fastest uh, running robot. Uh, in mm -hmm. terms of the body length per second now not really but mm -hmm. yeah that was my first robot but i'm curious to ask you since you are now one of the pioneers in legged robot design and um how this was a stall for you how, how, when you get an inspiration for this designing you, you you mentioned you were interested about physics but we have the question what kind of maybe uh, abstraction you can get from for example mit sheet or robot that's three version now and the mini one so what kind of inspiration you look for for uh, replicating the motion or you go for something beyond what we have already in nature how you can make this happen to make a useful uh, design so um the legged machine is still uh uh how can i say is in the middle of the evolution in my opinion mm -hmm. um in a wheeled vehicle didn't exist in nature human somehow invented it you know yeah. like thousands of years ago uh and then it became a thing became proven to be very very useful and engineers you know from you know roman era or even before always wondering about why not we have a legged machine they can <laughs> like because we had an example in nature humans are a good example and well, other animals are example and then they do uh perform excellent uh job uh, in moving around the world of train and so on um yet uh replicating animals are not easy and as you mm. can see even even just chira series by itself uh let alone all kinds of examples in robotics community uh it started with a more animal looking design and then it it get quickly simplified to be more practical and mm. in my opinion i think it's still too complex to be practical uh and we're still uh in the middle of the evolution mm -hmm. uh what can we learn from nature is still also uh you know in the middle of the evolution we're still not sure what inspiration is good what inspiration is not useful mm -hmm. uh, one thing i can say is the uh, animals biological systems are just way too complex to replicate anything so we've been always focusing on the simplification simplification of design and focusing on the principle uh, yeah. One example I can tell you that was useful is the animal's legs. If you look at the animal's legs, especially the fast ones, they have a very little mass uh, in the leg, a very, especially going to the distal end that minimized the uh, required torque on the shoulder and so on. So we focus on that for last 10 years, how to minimize the uh, mm -hmm. luminosia. That really... <laughs> Uh, allow us to build a robot that can be very powerful and dynamic and, and efficient. But I'm curious to ask you, um, it is very interesting experiences about uh, what kind of elements you have to uh, get inspiration from nature, for example, in MIT sheet robot. But I'm curious to ask you what could be the missing pieces here. If you can have a, um, a step back and look what's really missing since we are still in the middle of the evolution for that. What are the missing pieces do you think that we have to focus on? So there's two aspects, like a hardware aspect and uh, software aspect. Uh, in in hardware aspect, we cannot afford to have a 
uh, as many joints and actuation actuator like uh, animals. You know, for example, dogs have 700 muscles, and our cheetah has a uh, 12. It's not even close. And we we always talk about uh, will be how nice it will be uh, to have uh, ankle joint, and then it's practically impossible because our actuation technology is not. Uh, quite there yet. Uh, there are a lot of complexity plus uh, weight and uh, robustness issue. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, the fabrication challenge, I guess, like if you think about uh, how to fabricate a paw, like a robotic paw, is very, very difficult to replicate what animal has. Um, but I think bigger challenge is in software, uh, much, much bigger challenge. Uh, we just so talking about just the biology itself. We we just don't even scratch the surface of how animal balance and then perform what they do, like combined with the vision and planning everything. Uh, and even even though we don't understand completely understand how animal do, you know, in in algorithm world where optimization or machine learning, uh, it's just the beginning to do a fraction of what animal is doing. Mm -hmm. So I think the, uh, this is not, we're not even talking about high level intelligence, like, you know, competing with the human. We're talking about things animal like do in a second or two very easily. Uh, mm -hmm. So low level, medium level intelligence were, were not even close there. So I think uh, there's some challenge in hardware, but I think bigger challenge is because the missing part is actually the algorithm. I think there's really interesting part here about when you mentioned about um, what kind of intelligence, because we have mechanical intelligence and we have this kind of brain. So do you think in animals, you are focusing more in the mechanical intelligence? Do you think which one you have to maybe give more uh, focus or maybe both of them as just out of curiosity? Yeah. To be honest, uh, if you look how MIT Cheetah has evolved, we try to minimize uh, the mechanical uh, functions in in the entire machine mm -hmm. so meaning that uh we just don't we, we try try uh, as hard as possible to minimize compliance uh between the actuator to the foot so we have to have some compliance because you know we, you don't want a hard metal leg uh, shaft hitting the ground so it's end at the end effector, you need to have some compliance. But besides that, we try to minimize compliance in any mechanical uh, mm -hmm. play because we lose a bandwidth. Uh, mm -hmm. That's uh, something uh, very often uh, overlooked by many, many mechanical designers. Um, if, you, if you don't want to have an actuator, yes, like a, uh, under actual system, some passive compliance, mechanical intelligence do the job, that's fine. But if you mm -hmm. want to do, uh, if you want to, achieve some something versatile you know chira robot is not just running straight if your chira is running a straight and single speed there's so many things we can do without even involving many actuator but this robot many mobile robot we want to do acceleration deceleration turning the spot like jumping and landing there's mm -hmm. all kinds of uh, behavior we need to uh, uh, be able to control in every millisecond what force you want to achieve and then the bandwidth is critical uh, so oh. Uh, yeah, to be honest, like, there's almost no mechanical intelligence uh, in mm -hmm. our robot. And uh, it can be useful when you really try to minimize degree freedom, but it, that minimizing degree freedom also 
lead to mini, like very limited application. You can mm -hmm. make a versatile machine. Uh, yeah. Good example is a gripper. If you make a gripper with a bunch of under actuation system, can, the, that hand cannot do many things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So maybe there's a question about what, what things you are already interested about designing. What could be the techniques you use for dynamic model for your, for your robot? Because we know that modeling sometimes is super challenging, and especially when we have this kind of dynamic environment as well. But for the robot itself, the designing process, what technology do you use to create this dynamic model? So uh, we use very carefully designed um, dynamic simulation software uh, to uh, verify some ideas. Uh, and we uh, we do uh, uh, model our actuator, and we actually even use the dyno uh, dynamometer to um, test our actuator. To be, it's all this effort to try to really uh, model and then be accurate about uh, what we're building. Uh, and when it comes to actually designing and making decisions, all these like uh, tens of thousands of parameters. Uh, there's no particular method uh, we can use here. Um, yeah, we we you know we 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 basically have a many 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 hours of meetings and discussions and uh, comparison with other machines and uh, where design processes are pretty much are done by human uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, you can just have a great build a great machine by having great meetings. You need to have a, a, a central designer, which played the biggest role in uh, and, and his experience and then uh, uh, concept of understanding really hugely impact how the machine is designed. So uh, designing the, such a complex systems are still uh, up in there. I don't, we don't have a good formal, uh, formal way to do it. What is area or direction of research you think is very promising for legged robot, but still we maybe as a community of research, we don't agree or we don't give much attention to it? Um, I, I think there's still the, um, uh, the locomotion algorithm or, or navigation algorithm. There are many, there are thousands of papers, hundreds of papers on working on navigation algorithm. But when it comes to legged robot that uh, move around with the in 3D space where the, you have to exert forces and have to choose a foot placement. There, mm -hmm. uh, this is still uh, quite a very challenging area where the typical optimization scheme, gradient-based optimization scheme, or mm -hmm. uh, you know the uh, machine learning type of a stochastic uh, gradient descent doesn't really work because uh, uh, you can't really create the cost function perfectly in every single time. And uh, in many cases, you're, you're optimizing uh, through uh, multiple discrete uh, events, which makes it very difficult to use any gradient-based approach. Uh, so often people fall into this like a mixed integer optimization. And it, it, it's a, it is very inefficient and uh, uh, quite challenging. Uh, so we, we still need to take a look at a uh, little bit high level intelligence, uh, like like literally algorithm, you know, like humans are performing not in a way like we quantify everything all the time. You know, uh, if you just grasp, grab something on, the, on, the, on, your, on your table, we're not uh, maximizing or minimizing value. We have a much more crude 
discrete decision making process. Um, and if you do the same task a uh, hundred times, your your uh, grasping position or uh, force applied to the object is all over the place. They're not always consistent because we're not really we don't really care about those uh, quantities. We care more about high level decision, which finger I'm going to use and where I'm going to grab. And uh, what I'm going to do if slips, there's a lot of uh, uh, discrete decision. Uh, we just don't know how to properly uh, do. Uh, our tools are all based on some quantity and then gradient based, like uh, uh, the minimizing value or maximizing value. Somebody might, might argue that if you uh, throw every, every possible case and then make you know, the gigantic optimization process, it's possible and that will require uh, on like almost uh, infinite amount of data or infinite amount of time. So uh, we don't think that's actually a quite practical way. Uh, so we have to really think about how to program a concept. We know how to program a quantity-based approach, a gradient-based approach, but we don't know how to do a concept. We don't know how to program a concept. That's basically mm -hmm. basic challenge in everywhere in robotics, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting aspect. Uh, maybe I'm curious to ask you, what should take from us so that we can consider that in what we do? Why do you think we still don't grasp these ideas or this point? What's contributing to it? Um, I think just the legacy, you know, how we do engineering mm -hmm. is all based on mathematics and which has a long history, 500 or, or more uh, history, longer history. And uh, we, I think we need to really start thinking about uh, different format of uh, intelligence, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is not easy, of course, uh, yeah. uh, but... Uh, you know, several people in the leadership really thought about those two. You know, Leslie Kebling in our 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 institute also agree with that. Uh, we we really need to think about uh, intelligence that not necessarily rely on just a quantity. Mm -hmm. uh, at least it's not just uh, we can't we can't really program anything without quantity, but uh, making decision doesn't need to be always finding maximum value or minimum value. Uh, the, the algorithm uh, development should more focus on event-based reaction-based uh, algorithm, which is, is a lot more close to like a uh, uh, typical like classical algorithm, like a yes and no, if or else type of, uh, uh, many people call that a heuristic. Um, I think we need to go back to heuristic and then think about how to generalize all these heuristic, which actually uh, hugely help our robot to be more smart. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe I could ask you what something things you think you say that you highly depend on intuition as a factor uh, since you in early ages. What's something you thought would work out very well in in the version for MIT sheet of robot, and the empirical result proved something wasn't expected or maybe it was surprising to you, counterintuitive to you. Um. Uh, well, so the the big biggest surprise actually. It was the efficiency. Mm. Uh, we even have a paper how we make our robot efficient, but it wasn't it wasn't quite planned. Uh, we it's more like a, a after uh, aftermath. We we analyze after, and like it turns out that it's actually very good. Because uh, when we first designed Mini Ch the uh, MIT Cheetah, our goal is really uh, run as fast as possible. 
we need to design a machine like a like F1 formula a type of mm -hmm. like concept. If robot run out of battery one minute, that's still okay because you know if you can run really fast, one you can do so much in one minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. test the fastest machine doesn't take more than a minute even a battery. So we did, we just completely ignore efficiency when you design the machine. We focus on uh, force bandwidth and then the high torque uh, the density and then minimum. Uh, weight and so on like the literally like a airplane design or or a formula car and then it came out like uh efficiency of animal and then it was the best in this class i think still the best in the class and we're quite shocked and then it took uh, me for at least a week to evaluate and re-verify multiple way to to check our measurement is correct we mm -hmm. we check like uh, two three different ways and then they're all matched within like a one percent error yeah, and it turns out that we lose so much uh, through the uh, transmission, which we, you know, take it as the gospel, like harmonic drive or high gear ratio system. The conventional uh, transmission system was horribly inefficient. Not only just the transmitting power, uh, and also that that the so inefficient not through the, just the transmission. Actually, the inefficient ha uh, happens when it collide with the object mm. if you look at the most robotics uh, applications or even a research topic no, most robots are not uh, having any impact with the object or environment they're very very careful in, in contact because that's very hard to control yeah. when it comes to uh, impact uh, by the way if you look any human behavior if you watch anybody is doing any work in one, one minute they're gonna they're gonna go through like hundreds of collisions and we don't even notice because our bodies are so well built and we have a nice uh, cushions and uh, control. So we don't really realize we have a very, uh, we're using high speed collision all the time. If you, if you run, if you walk, you can do it without any collision. Uh, that's why actually mo most conventional robots are so slow. Uh, when it comes to collision, if your actuation uh, have a high IMF, which is the impact impact mitigation factor. If you uh, don't know what it is, Google please, because it's a very important concept in actuation. Uh, they represent the uh, workspace uh, mass matrix, uh, relative mass matrix quantity. High, uh, low IMF means your machines are very rigid and then uh, awkward to touch anything. Mm. If high IMF means you're very flexible, you can touch something and then you can control force very well. Uh, so those, uh, conventional actuation system, which is a low IMF, high gear ratio, high inertia, have a horribly inefficient in terms of the collision because it's, it's not you're losing uh, energy through the transmission, you're losing by colliding with the high mass. So you lose by the impact uh, that eventually cause all this vibration, heat, and eventually damage all, all kinds of uh, uh, machines. So mm -hmm. the design of a mini the Cheetah robot, it turns out that we, we were focusing on high force control bandwidth, which is correct thing to do. Uh, it has a side a byproduct like efficiency and byproduct like uh, um, uh, uh, like the, the, the power generation and the power regeneration. Uh, we didn't quite plan to have a regeneration, but realize you can have a proper force control without uh, uh, energy regeneration. So that was the byproduct. Yeah, that's really an excellent point. Yeah. 
But maybe I'm curious here, and do you think, in, uh, having said that, do you think soft robotics or maybe artificial muscle could really contribute in designing these muscles for uh, MIT Shooter robot or legged robot in general? You know, the, the artificial muscle has always been holy grail for many engineers. and mm -hmm. uh, But people really need to understand that we need a different way to generate force. Yeah. Uh, uh, we have a own, if you look at the physics, there's only um, two kinds of way to generate force. One is electromagnetic way, which include electrostatic or electromagnetic, which is a uh, pretty much dominant. Uh, and then the other way is uh, doing chemical reactions like, you know, boiling waters or combustions uh, or, or using compressed air type of thing. Um, but uh, if you don't change if you don't have any new way to generate force, just converting that kind of energy source into a different form doesn't it doesn't really change anything fundamentally. Uh, so, uh, like basically, like for example, pneumatic you can generate thousand different actuators with a pneumatic source, and if you cannot change how the pneumatic power conversion happen, it it doesn't really help because there's a fundamental limitation on the pneumatic power source. Um, and combustion, same same region. Like combustion has a fundamental uh, limitation. That's why most actuators are either electrostatic or electromagnetic. And same same argument here. Like if you don't change how uh, we fundamentally change how we generate electromagnetic or electrostatic, uh, uh, they're associated with the fundamental limitation. Electrostatic has a very different fundamental limitation compared to electromagnetic. But you have to basically uh, tackle the base basic uh, principle. And otherwise, it's going to be all, all ended up being same or it cannot improve too much. And there's a question also from the audience. What kind of maybe a limitation or upgrading for MIT Shita Robot version 3? What kind of advancement are you looking for or tackling limitation you had in earlier version? Mini Chira Chira 3 is differentiated uh, from Chira 2 in a way that it's more simplified. It has a more range of motion. Uh, it's designed to be much more robust. And then uh, we also design, develop our own software package that has a uh, very uh, good model. Chira 2 was much more difficult to model. So we move the direction, uh, uh, move into the much more practical or programmatic direction. Uh, uh, so Mini Chira is pretty much like a, uh, mm. a combination uh, of the design. And uh, especially the scale is also small. Uh, it's, it's extremely robust. We drop from like a meter height uh, multiple times, doesn't even uh, have any mechanical issue. Our first mini Chira, uh, we were running for like a year and a half in our lab, mm -hmm. uh, doing more than you know several hundred experiments. Uh, we didn't have a single mechanical failure. Uh, so the simple simple design is is really really important. I really uh, wish the community uh, uh, understand that part. Like if you build a machine, sophisticated, beautiful machine, if you fail in ten times uh, experiment, it's not very useful. So the mini cheetah uh, is, uh, is sort of like hallmark of like the the robust machine uh, that can be also versatile. If you look at the military applications, the robots are extremely simple. They don't want to have put more than one motor because it, it becomes fragile and break. And Minichira can be the first robot that actually can uh, 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 
have a versatility and then mechanical robustness at the same at the same time. That's going to yeah. be the one of the critical design aspect in the future robot application. If robot just break, uh, mm -hmm. we can make a product. We can really help uh, human humanity. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, here's also a question about what's your thoughts about wheels lug locomotion. So yeah, I, I actually thought about this a lot, uh, and and you know there's so ins inspiration from this Japanese uh, manga, Japanese animation like uh, Ghost in the Shell, for example. There's a fantastic concept and so on, and um, I think there's uh, going to be very um, how can I say the some certain area where wheeled leg can really perform outperform everything else. But uh, if you're if somebody asks like what is going to be the winner of if you consider everything, I'm still not sure, because uh, if you have a wheeled machine, which means you have to have a another actuation at the end effector, uh, you have to move the wheel as well. And then can you sacrifice? Can you get rid of some uh, degree of freedom um, due to the wheel? When it comes to rope train, not really. Mm. In order to generate X, Y, Z force properly, and you need to have a, all the actuator that leg robot has, and then you need to have another actuator for the wheel. It's just to make it a lot more complex. So if you want to build a robot like primarily running on the uh, rough train, I don't think the wheeled, wheeled leg robot uh, will have any benefit. Uh, wheeled leg robot is obviously more beneficial in the more primarily like flat train. Let's say the machine uh, it's mostly running on the flat train, maybe slightly slope, uh, maybe a few steps of stairs. I think there's a uh, advantage. Uh, but if the robot has to go through the rough train a lot of times, or you have to do both world very, very well, I still think the leg robot without wheel is going to win mm -hmm. uh, because uh, due to the complexity, it's a less complex uh, not having wheel. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting as because well, yeah. And also here's a question about uh, humanoid robots, for example, why does Boston Dynamics Atlas a robot have knees like human, bend forward, while other designs sometimes bend backward? And do you think there's maybe advantage or disadvantages for designing legged robot VS uh, like human robots, for example? Yes, actually we had a, a long history of a discussion about this because we have an example like a bird. Mm. You know, they're ostrich and uh, many like a land like a birds that doesn't fly have a different morphology from uh, seemingly human. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but if you look at this is a biology story. Uh, if you look at every single runners, their first proximal joint is actually pointing forward, which is kind of like a human knee. Mm. Like a, oh, somebody might say the birds are not actually. If you look at the birds. Uh, the first joint, which is a femur, is hidden in the body. And then, you know, the knee equivalent is actually ankle. Uh, and same thing for the dogs. And if you look at the dogs, the cheetahs, felines, and canines, if you look at front leg, front leg looks like the opposite of the real leg, opposite of the human knee. It's actually not. There's a, 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 a spatula, the scapula is actually moving quite a lot. Human scapula doesn't have as much range. The, those animals use scapula a lot. And then that act as a first joint sticking forward. So uh, there's a clear dynamic advantage being having a knee forward. The first joint from the body uh, is sticking forward. Uh, but if, you, if a robot is not moving fast, 
Mm. If you really don't care about dynamic uh, advantage, uh, it's a debatable. It's it depends on uh, what your task is. If you want to climb upstairs a lot, uh, head forward, sticking knee forward is not going to be very useful. <laughs> mm. You know, so you know, knee backward robot will be much more convenient climbing upstairs all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but you have to think about climbing down is it easier probably not so uh, it, it, when it comes to just the uh, configuration spaces geometry of the your environment matters but dynamically the knee forward is always beneficial that's why I believe mm-hmm. humans and all these animals have a first joint from the body sticking forward and I also have a question here what are the short and to- long term technological roadblocks for your research and also for legged robot in general I think the 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 challenges I I talked about in the beginning is still going to be the roadblock. How can we uh, write an algorithm that can handle so many discrete events? Uh, mm. You know, like uh, it's no longer continuous dynamics where gradients and you know a stochastic gradient works really well. Uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of mixture of a hybrid dynamics. Uh, it's not just like hybrid dynamics between two phases. You have to you have to deal with like twenty different phases, and then we have to choose from. And uh, each phase has its own uh, continuous dynamics, and we don't even know when to uh, terminate that phase and so on. So um, the worst possible example is a grasping or or any any hand manipulation. Think about how many contact points we don't even know how many contact points we're gonna do uh, given hand and given object and when to make that contact and how to transition, it's gonna just explode in your optimization space. So mm-hmm. um, the, that's why I think we, we need to really uh, think about high level decision-making uh, mm-hmm. algorithm rather than just gradient-based or meta, uh, the quantity-based. Um, I guess it's more like a state-based algorithm or phase-based algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how to formulate that, how to generalize those uh, approaches is going to be the biggest roadblock, in my opinion. Either mm-hmm. you use a machine reinforced more learning or optimization base doesn't really matter. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's sort of like uh, my 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 thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So we are closing to the end and have a few questions. The first one, why we don't have don't we have yet useful autonomous robots in real world? And how we can ensure what we develop is beneficial to humanity uh, for designing robots? Very, very important question. Um, again, I, I thought about this a lot. You know, I, you know, attempt to start a company multiple times and I, you know, closely watch over many other robot companies and I, you know, you know, review all this history of the robotics. Um, I think there's a fine, fine balance between uh, the versatility of the and and the complexity, mm-hmm. simplicity, I guess. Uh, and then, good example is actually Roomba. Very good example is a vacuum machine, and uh, it's extremely simple. And it's not just the company because the company design simple. The task is actually very simple. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's where actually robot autonomous autonomous system can really shine. Uh, many people ask like, oh, when we're going to have a robot that can do laundry and cleaning dishes and cleaning the house and everything. And I ask, 
imagine somebody actually built that, how much is that going to be? And how complex mm -hmm. is it going to be? And how about service fee and so on? And then I said, probably it's at least like $50,000. But if you think about uh, all this vacuum cleaner, autonomous vacuum cleaner, laundry machine, dishwashers, uh, uh, of course, it's not as good as those multiple uh, versus robot. But all that combined to be at least like uh, at most like $3,000 compared to $50,000, maybe $100,000 robot, then maybe it can do a little better than what we have. So uh, you got to be very careful with the uh, all multi-purpose versatile machine that can do everything. Our cell phone did really well, but our cell phone doesn't have a single actuator. Mm -hmm. It's all digital, all IT technology. So uh, my cell phone can be camera, recording device, like audio, web browser, like everything. Yes, this versatile, great. But uh, we carry around, we do all this uh, physical behavior. When it comes to physical service, I'm still doubtful about having fully versatile multi-purpose machine. Our product successful machines are all one purpose. Our laundry machine has one motor yeah. instead of having, you know, 12 degree freedom hand with a six degree freedom arm to rub your laundry, you know, using soap. It does have everything with the one motor. Our dishwasher has a two motor, one motor. Uh, it's very simple and can do one thing really well. So uh, going back to the Roomba uh, example, Roomba has a, a few motors, uh, uh, but its task is very simple and limited and is very fault tolerant, which is actually a very, very important aspect. So complexity mm -hmm. goes hand in hand with the fault sensitivity, uh, except the autonomous driving. When, when robot task is more complex, typically it, your, uh, the task is a fault sensitive. You cannot make a mistake. If you drop a glass of, you know, uh, the cup of glass every day, your robot is useless. Uh, when it comes to Roomba, it's just always stick in the ground and then maybe maybe a vacuum, maybe bump into the wall a couple of times. It's fine. Nobody really care that vacuum machine make 100 mistakes in an hour. That's not even a mistake because it doesn't really uh, affect much. But if your robot can is doing something more complex, uh, that typically lead to the very false uh, fault-sensitive task. So this uh, complexity and simplicity and versatility and, and specialized machine, we have to navigate in this uh, space very carefully while mm -hmm. focusing on what value we provide as uh, customers. So um, this is, a, this is a something the whole community uh, need to really think about and uh, mm -hmm. it's gonna evolve to something interesting. Uh, you have to really think about why uh, Roomba is invented like Roomba is not even the first vacuum machine, autonomous vacuum machine. Now, Electrolux has an even older, more mm -hmm. than 20 years of history. And yet there's no another autonomous robot that help us in our life. If you yeah. ignore like lawnmower machine and like swimming pool machine, those are kind of similar uh, version of Roomba. There's yeah. a, those uh, issues are not quite resolved yet. That's why there's a, still very mm -hmm. few uh, autonomous machine. That's a very excellent answer, and thank you for the elaboration. I think that's really insightful as well. Yeah, and here's also a question about how we can enable more intellectually inclusive culture for competitive ideas. I don't know if you your thought about being intellectually inclusive in in field of robotics in general. Do you think we have this kind of intellectual inclusiveness, or we have to work on that in terms of ideas? Um, that's also kind of a tricky question, and then. Uh, 
great question. Uh, you know, you, you we, even in this world, we have a, this tension between countries and, you know, how much can we share? And then, uh, uh, yeah. and uh, their countries are like, uh, doesn't respect like IP, for example. And, uh, and, and we had to also uh, work for the inclusion. Um, yeah, this is a lot more complex than uh, I can just personally think of. Um, mm -hmm. But I am a, I'm a believer of uh, you know uh, I'm I'm believe I believe that like we should uh, openly share everything uh, to as as uh, as much as possible to really move forward and make a progress mm -hmm. um, because innovation not necessarily uh, just happen because you're hiding something and you're secretly developing something uh, yeah. if you look at I you know Apple and uh, uh, and if you look at Tesla, who actually benchmark Apple a lot, there's no like a secret like thing they do. They just uh, work really well, hard, well to really focus on human value. Uh, not necessarily invent something completely out of blue. Uh, so I think the sharing idea is always, uh, I, I believe is always good. Yeah, thanks for this honesty. Yeah. And do you think ego is important for the researcher? I think so. Um, um, uh, you know, everybody everybody has to uh, have a piece, have a make a piece with their ego, right? And yeah. uh, but many cases, the ego actually is a counterproductive. Somebody's mm -hmm. care too much about their, uh, you know, their name values or like uh, the like authorships, and so. I think it's a fine balance in academia. You cannot really work without, you know, uh, uh, acknowledging somebody's effort. But there's mm -hmm. always challenge between like, you know, working with somebody at the same time, make a peace with the, your ego and then your colleagues uh, is a challenge. So this is another fine balance um, uh, uh, you have to deal with uh, mm -hmm. as an academic person. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And also the question about what is your thoughts about uh, publish or parish culture? Since you're doing very innovative innovative research, how how you manage between being innovative and taking risky ideas, and also the culture of publish and parish? I don't know if you have thought. I I think about that all the time, <laughs> and <laughs> I I I I feel actually bad about uh, myself and our our group in a way that we care. Uh, we don't care publication as not as much as others. Mm. Uh, we uh, we care about what is really useful. We're extremely programmatic. That can be uh, uh, that can be bad for some of my grad students when they get a job. You know, their yeah. publication is not as good as others, and we don't publish as much as many as, as much as others. Uh, we in our group, we kind of uh, our conviction is we that we decide to care programmatic solution uh, mm -hmm. rather than high citation or uh, 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 is it worth publishing? You know, we have a, a lot of ideas. Uh, this could be good paper, but I don't think it's useful. Like we just don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah. I think it's a very important to to have. I wouldn't suggest to everybody because it's, you know, as you said, if you don't publish, it's perish. So, yeah. uh, you have to, you have to balance, you know, but 
you know, if you everybody's just, uh, you know, search for the way to get published, uh, I think community can go on the wrong direction. I can pinpoint a certain community, but some of the community happen to lock into that trajectory. And then it's more less less relevant as the uh, technology change, the the world change, because they culture lock into that uh, publish or perish, and then their publication is based on other publication is get, getting far away from real application. So that's something you gotta be very very careful. Yeah, I think we need more uh, like you, and that's actually what we need. We need more meaningful research and less publications. So I think you have to feel very good about. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the the meaningful is a very multifaceted uh, thing, and very oh, yes. difficult to even you know quantify. Like you know, academic. In my opinion, academic uh, contribution is like as long as it's helpful for other people's mm -hmm. so research is uh, useful. But it, if entire community is working on something not very practical, you gotta yeah. think about it. But if you do or working on something. Uh, that shows something new and, and inter interesting, but your what you publish doesn't really mm -hmm. uh, uh, doesn't really give them enough ideas so that, that other people can replicate or help. That's another another challenge. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think this is something you have to balance. It's not necessary mm -hmm. one idea is better yeah. than the other. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, here's a question: What are the most important quality you have gained while working? in academia, what are you doing? What is the most important qualities you have gained and you have to maintain? I think the most important thing is still passion, I think. Uh, uh, mm. You know, passion also have a multi, many different stages, many different type of passion. Mm. Uh, you know, for example, when, when we first designed a Cheetah robot, we, our passion was very, uh, uh, extremely naive and pure. Like we didn't care about anything else. We just wanted to make a machine that can do things like they've never done before. Uh, mm. It's not it's not wrong, but that mm. kind of passion has a expiration date. Uh, you know, like there are people like you know trying to design a machine, a car that can go thousand miles per hour. It's it's, it's admirable uh, challenges, uh, but has a has a short uh, shelf life. Eventually, you had to uh, grow and uh, uh, foster your your passion. Uh, uh, into something more sustainable. Uh, that's where your the other question, like how can we uh, make our research more useful to the mm -hmm. humanity? That's yeah. actually uh, a proper way to uh, redirect your passion uh, to really help help the co community and and society. Because eventually, that's that's gonna be the final uh, source of motivation and final end uh, uh, route of your research. So uh, you know. It's not easy to develop something or work on something that meaningful because it takes a long time, mm -hmm. you know. So maybe one PhD student five six years, which is you know okay. But if you want want to achieve something really really meaningful, it takes sometimes ten years or fifteen years. It's not easy to maintain your passion uh, without having that really meaningful uh, uh, goal. So. Uh, managing those passions and you know you cannot give up what you like you know you're just intrinsically like something moving fast you know i'm i'm a big fan of moving fast and dynamic machines so cannot give up that but uh by oh, that kind of pure passion by itself uh is not quite sustainable in my opinion so uh you have to latch into the ideas or uh you have to evolve your dream to really really help uh, a real society real people's help 
like elderly care, uh, for example, uh, yeah. then you can uh, maintain your passion and then you can uh, really feel your research effort. And lastly, what was the best advice uh, was given to you and was it like a changing? Um, uh, life changing. <laughs> That's very difficult. Um, be very good advice. You keep in your mind. Just. I guess you know. Uh, again, it, it is balance uh, uh, issue, but uh, I think I still remember my brother said, like you know, uh, mm. uh, somebody who uh work the hardest i mean uh somebody who enjoy what they do mm. uh is gonna it's gonna eventually prevail because it, yeah. uh even though you're most talented in that area if you're not really enjoying what you're doing you can't really do uh, that for a long time again the sustainability uh issue so i think i really uh constantly searching for what i like to do what i can do at the same time uh it can be useful for the society so mm -hmm. i start with what i like but i uh start uh evolving toward uh how can it can be helpful for the society because otherwise is you know people are not going to support you and mm -hmm. and i don't want to do something that i'm really bad at <laughs> so yeah. that's probably the best advice i got yeah this is really uh, a brilliant advice and yeah we have to do what we really enjoy and people will feel it of course yeah. so do you have any final words to robotic community would like to say um i really like uh, our robotics community um yeah uh you just briefly talk about ego and stuff i actually look other areas and robotics communities are actually much more pure mm -hmm. uh less egocentric uh i think uh we need to really uh, tackle this versatility issue, the the, mm -hmm. the diversity issue. Our robotics are probably one of the most diverse uh, community. <laughs> uh, yeah. All kinds of experts, all kinds of research is mixed. Uh, we have to really uh, try to uh, put our effort to how to integrate our effort because mm -hmm. diversity is, is always challenging, and uh, you know every if it's, it's all, often great research coming from uh, one like working on one small area. I think yeah. robotics are quite different. Robotics, we have to really integrate uh, everybody's helpful to really make a big difference. So uh, I wish we can do more and more of the uh, uh, integration of diversity, diversity of our research uh, in the future. So yeah, thank you, Professor Kim. It was really enjoyable and insightful uh, to uh, have you on the podcast and wishing from you more great, more great work about uh, Legged Robots community. So thank you once again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you.